Welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Welcome to Energetics Exchange, a podcast series featuring conversations with energy and climate experts. I'm Mary Stewart, Energetics CEO. Each week, we will bring you the insights you need on a range of topics relating to climate and energy risk management, the issues that are in the headlines, the trends as we see them, and planning considerations in the longer term. We welcome comments, feedback, and suggestions for future topics. Please do that via our website or through LinkedIn or Twitter, or phone your client contact. We're all working from home at the moment and really welcome speaking to new people. I'd like to hand over now to Andrew Tipping, our General Manager, Clients and Business Development, who will moderate today's conversation. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Mary. Hello and welcome to the first Energetics podcast. My name's Andrew Tipping and I'm the General Manager of Clients and Business Development at Energetics. Today, we're talking with two of our thought leaders and I'd like to introduce Gilles Valgenvitz and Alistair Alford. Gilles is the general manager of our energy markets team, and he has extensive experience across all facets of the energy market, including generation, retail, contracting, and regulation. Alistair is a principal consultant at Energetics and is a leading light on the intricacies of the NEM, the drivers of demand and supply, and regulatory compliance. Collectively, Alistair and Gilles have more than 50 years of energy market experience, so are well-placed to discuss the current state of play and the impacts of COVID-19. Gilles, can I start with you? Please, can you shed some light on what has been the immediate impact of COVID-19 on the Australian electricity market? Well, uh, in the short term, uh, power demand is going down, and that's obviously due to um, restrictions and business shutdowns applied to contain the propagation of the virus. Uh, Now, uh, there have been multiple comments already in the news about first observations coming from Europe, um, especially because of uh, over there, uh, full lockdowns have been enforced early. Uh, demand data uh, from the European transmission operators shows that um, in countries like uh, the UK or Italy or France, the power demand has declined by between 5 and 15% compared to uh, demand just before the quarantine measures. Um, before stepping into uh, Quick conclusions, I would like to flag here that there have been uh, very early figures uh, with no weather normalization and related to countries that are exiting winter, uh, that um, they are under different lockdown uh, arrangements than than Australia. So at this stage here in Australia, we are observing relatively uh, smaller changes to the demand profile in the different market jurisdictions. Uh, early indications point to a 5 to 7% reduction in demand in New South Wales and Victoria. But is, these are only you know, preliminary estimates based on a few weeks of, of data only. I think most of these uh, circumstances, it's worthwhile unpacking it a little bit and, and looking at what uh, makes the, the Australian market uh, somewhat distinct uh, from, from other jurisdictions. And I think, you know, what we tend to do is, is is break up into a number of component parts, um, being one, the, the residential uh, component, two, the component that's brought um, by small to medium uh, businesses, 
and the, the third component being sort of large industrial and, and, and aggregated loads. And um, even within Australia, each state has got a, a, a different mix and, and now markets are, are different to what you would see overseas. And I suppose that the, the more popular states uh, in Australia um, about uh, sort of high 40s, uh, nearly 50% of uh, consumption is made up from larger, uh, sorry, is made up from um, the uh, small to medium uh, enterprise sector, so the low 20s uh, from the uh, large industrials and you know, the balance, again, close to 30% um, is residential. And, and, and the key thing there is that um, that big sector in the middle, um, being the small to medium enterprise uh, sector, is is the ones that are probably feeling the the change at this point in time. Um, residential customers, um, yeah, we're, we're all working from home like we are here with with this podcast uh, today, um, but yeah, we, we we might have changed our pattern of usage a little bit, and we're starting to see some of that information uh, flowing through and observations of, of of the market, but we're probably not going to see sort of yeah, major shifts. So, what happens in winter might be an interesting uh, one to see. Um, the large industrials, um, certainly big portfolios. If you're um, a portfolio of um, you know, pubs and clubs, uh, for example, um, they, they, they're certainly feeling the pain. But at this point in time, we haven't seen the big impacts on um, things like um, uh, metals smelting and uh, minerals processing um, and uh, in some ways something she'll touch on later uh, coal seam uh, gas as well um, so th there's all these touch points looking forward um, that you know, can change those numbers and i think right across the whole industry we're all trying to do a little bit of a bottom-up uh, view at the same time we, we, we're looking at the, the real-time data coming in so we're very early in the process and, and just understanding how demand is going to play out will factor into a lot of decisions um, of both the market operator and of uh, consumers uh, as, as we go along. So we'll, we'll need to be watching that space. Um, and talking about it from a, from a consumer's perspective at, at this point in time, there are certain types of consumers in the market who've had massive shifts uh, in their demand. So uh, pubs, for example, if you've got a, a, a large group of uh, pubs or gaming venues, um, social distancing, yeah, those venues have had to be closed. Um, they've gone from being quite significant energy uh, users to now very little. You know, there's, there's only so much energy you need to keep the beer cold. Now, businesses like that uh, are faced with a decision of, well, what are the implications? Not only if you, you've got other cash flow uh, issues uh, in your business, um, but you know, how do my electricity contracts uh, stack up? Um, under these conditions. And, and this is where we, we sort of touch on a couple of key things to, to get a clear view on to help guide uh, the decisions that you're going to make um, now. And one is really, I suppose the most fundamental one is really understanding what your demand uh, is actually going to be over the next six months. Um, we've got a view of at least three months of, of shutdown. Um, some businesses have that information readily at hand. Others might need to reach out to their, their consultants like Energetics to uh, help form that view. Once you've got that view, it empowers you to make decisions. Um, the, the next step is to, to, to look at what are the nature, what, what's the nature, what are the commercial terms of the contract that you've entered into with your retailer. Um, 
and, and this is where we talk about terms like flex. Um, and, and many retail contracts will have some bounds around how much your annual consumption can change uh, by both on the upper side and, and on the lower side. And, you know, it, it's really a case of looking at what your expected consumption is against those uh, metrics. And from that, it will trigger various positions. It might be a, a, as simple as a process of notifying your retailer that you've you know, got a valid reason um, to, to expect that um, your demand is going to be lower. Um, through to other contracts that might have more stringent mechanisms, such as a um, uh, as you know, a shortfall charge uh, if you uh, don't consume um, your minimum amount, or it might be wrapped up as a contract has a minimum annual spend that effectively is, is, is the same thing as a shortfall charge. It's just another way of expressing it, and, and, and different retailers will, will have uh, different um, terms. Um, so... Know what's happening, know what's in your contract and start talking to people are the, are the three key three, three key steps uh, in, uh, in that. Um, there's another element that we, we've certainly had a few people come to talk to us about is um, whether a pandemic like we're seeing now with COVID-19 uh, falls in the space of potentially triggering force majeure provisions in, in, in contracts. And so that's another discussion that you, you probably have, again, with your advisor, but also maybe your legal team um, as, as well. Yeah, I mean, very interesting. Thanks, Alistair. I mean, it'd be also interesting to think about um, the way the government is, uh, you know, leaning on banks and other parties in, in the market to, to pass on benefits and be um and be lenient on on customers um whether something similar might play out in the energy space uh, look it, it is it is early days um but what we have seen from the uh the energy networks association um is a response that's targeted uh for residential and and small businesses um uh, addressing the response to to those businesses and, and consumers uh, who may be in financial uh, hardship. Um, so those processes are, are ongoing, the conversations uh, are being had right across the industry. Um, so you've talked a bit about demand and the change in both the volume and potentially the, the load shape um, that, that might happen within a, a customer's energy usage. What's, uh, what's happening with supply? What can we expect to see or what's been the impact on the supply side and what changes might we see if the current lockdown is, is extended or broadened? Look, I think that the key first, uh, first statement is um, the, the, the power system on, on the East Coast, you know, in particular where we tend to focus somewhat more of our, our time, um, continues to operate in a reliable, in a secure and secure state. And that's principally through the actions of the, the market operator. So the Australian Energy Market Operator, or AEMO, as we like to shorten it to, um, they've moved to their highest stage, the, the fourth level of their pandemic um, response uh, plan, um, which involves uh, for them... Um, not necessarily operating the power system in any particularly different manner. You know, they're fundamentally uh, charged with ensuring that the power station operates in a in a reliable and secure state. Um, but putting in place um, a dialogue 
between those that are participating market, uh, both supply uh, side and, and, and load side, and taking steps within their own teams to ensure that they've got um, their, their key personnel uh, protected. So um, for some time uh, now, as this has been sort of uh, a problem that's building and building, um, AEMO have been restricting the movement of their, their staff, particularly uh, control room uh, staff. They've, they've, they've sheltered them. Um, within their business, um, but even right across uh, AEMO, uh, for example, that uh, they're spending a lot of time, like we are this afternoon, uh, on, on the other side of uh, video conferences, and they're, they're still engaging with um, uh, stakeholders across the industry. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much all by uh, by video conference, um, um, and yeah, similar to AEMO, we're seeing you know the supply side uh, respond in the. Um, in, in the same way with um, yeah, restricting access to, to power station control rooms, for example, um, reducing the number of, uh, of people on, on site and, and controlling access. So a lot of things that are mirrored, you know, what's effectively being mirrored uh, by the, the parties that are at the core of our uh, maintaining the liability of our power system um, is sort of mirroring what we're doing uh, in the community uh, anyway. It's, it, it's, it's social distancing, um, just in a just in a different uh, context. Um, and you know, I suppose if we, we sort of look a little bit further down um, the path now, um, rather than this sort of immediate response, um, we've got to remember both power stations and uh, distribution and transmission networks have very large footprints and very complicated uh, supply chains. Um, so understanding just how to ensure that uh, through an extended period that uh, the uh, the system continues to operate and, and meet the day-to-day challenges. There, there will be at some stage some storms, of course, so there will be issues with power plants. And it's a case of um, how the industry is able to adapt and respond to that that will uh, ensure that uh, we, we don't see the, the need to use sort of emergency powers um, Within the uh, within the power system, um, we have seen some of those responses coming into to play around the maintenance side of things uh, within power stations, where there's a degree of um, you know, deferral of work um, showing up in the, the projected availability of, of, of power plants, as the market operator uh, releases data regularly on the, the longer term outlook. Um, of power plant availability. And we've seen that distinct shift of the seasonal periods in the year that you'd like to uh, take, uh, particularly your large coal-fired units out for maintenance. Um, they've disappeared. They've gone back to being available and we've seen greater outages uh, planned in, in, in the following year. Um, so that seems to be the immediate uh, re- response there. Um we still have a large amount of uh, fossil fuel g- generation in the system. Um, so coal supplies uh, can factor into maintaining a reliable power system uh, as well. Um, stations typically run with some degree of stockpile, um, though brown coal uh, fire power stations, particularly what we see in, in Victoria, some of them are you know, you know, Basically, based on top of the uh, the, the mine, and as the uh, the coal's cut from the mine, it's uh, conveyed straight into into the station. Um, so maintaining the ability to to store some fuel and to bring the fuel into the stations is going to be uh, key to ensuring those uh, thermal units um, 
are available. Uh, and you know, so that involves mining staff, it involves people in the transport sector. Um, if you're bringing in coal via rail, then it's the rail sector. And this is what I was saying before, the, the, that uh, deep supply chain and large footprint um, story plays out. So while ever we've got uh, a, a low amount of disruption uh, in those key sectors, then you wouldn't expect any issues. It would be only in the you know, extreme circumstances where mines have to shut down, for, for example, which we're really not seeing in the way that um, the, the pandemic is playing out in Australia. I wouldn't mind somewhat hijacking your, your question there um, because we're somewhat un enlarging the supply side topic um, and talking about um, natural gas uh, prices. Uh, the reason is that somewhat COVID-19 is also having an impact on the gas pot price and therefore on the fuel cost of some gas pickers in the Australian power markets. Some of them are not contracted and are sourcing gas from uh, spot market, but we call here the short-term trading markets. Um, so even before the the outbreak, uh, the coronavirus outbreak um, started, we've seen uh, a glut in um, liquefied natural gas worldwide. And the supply was uh, a large oversupply, pushing Asian spot prices towards a, a record low. Uh, the, the, the Platts uh, JKM spot price, which is a benchmark for spot physical cargoes, dropped to below three uh, US uh, dollars per million of British thermal units, which is an uh, extremely low price. Um, and um, that, that's due to you know um, a number of factors, increased supply, um, high inventories, a warm winter in the northern hemisphere, uh, as well as now a reduction in, uh, in demand due to COVID-19. So you, you you may say, well, let's what the relationship between that and and the the the, the price here? Uh, well, uh, we we what we've seen is uh, um, uh, 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 more LNG buyers in North Asia uh, um, reducing the uh, quantity that they're buying right now. Um, they are basically trying to shift as much as they can the delivery of LNG. Uh, exercising downward quantity tolerance clause in their contracts and the like, so that you end up with some LNG sellers that uh, offer unsold term volumes into the spot market, which amplifies further supply demand imbalance that I mentioned before. And and in this environment, it starts to be even harder for uh, our domestic LNG exporter to find a good price on the Asian spot price. So there is, uh, therefore, uh, a downward pressure on the uh, spot uh, gas market here in Australia. Because of that, there is uh, less arbitrage opportunities to basically export the excess non-contracted volume. And um, so we, we've seen uh, you know, medium gas price suppression at the short-term trading market hub um, over the last uh, few months now. And it's uh, probably expected to continue like that. So Brisbane is currently trading uh, sub for Australian dollars per gigajoule, uh, Sydney uh, prices at around five dollars per gigajoule, and so um, well, this has an impact on the marginal cost of some gas power generators, the one the one that are not contracted, but it has also an impact for uh, some of our clients potentially. So um, I mean, so those uh, clients that have um, large um, gas intensive processes. Uh, well, uh, there could be more opportunities even than before uh, to consider uh, purchasing gas on the STTM markets that I mentioned before. 
Um, and especially, we don't expect this to be a short-term trend. Um, there is, a, uh, I would say, uh, an excess demand right now um, and um, a, a shortening in supply. And there is even further pressure on price uh, due to the, uh, I would say, the oil price war between Russia and the Saudis. And that's impacting as well. So overall, I would uh, suggest that some of our listeners, those that are very gas intensive, could see more interest than before in considering this type of alternative arrangement for gas supply. Certainly, certainly. And 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 the coupling of, of um, gas price to electricity spot price, I think, is a, a critical point in, in what you're saying there around what, what might happen in terms of price evolution. So we're starting to see some changes in the market. Um, you know, how long might these last for, and are there going to be some long-term, long-lasting impacts from yes. the current state of play on, on COVID nineteen? If I knew, I would probably not be sitting here. <laughs> 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 I think it, it. I mean, I will be very generic here. Uh, it, it depends really how quickly the virus is contained, whether we experience a fast global economic bounce back. And um, and I'm not sure we can count on that right now and, and how much economic support federal and state governments are willing to deploy. Um, so uh, I think that there have been a few studies already uh, after, after only a few weeks of outbreak. So I think it was uh, Goldman Sachs estimated a 6% contraction in the Australian GDP in 2020 compared to 2019. Um, that's more or less in line with the OECD estimates based on three months lockdown. Um, the OECD clearly mentioned that um, if you go six months lockdown, you can probably double that. Um, but let's let's assume six months, a six percent contraction in GDP. And if you apply the typical elasticities between um, GDP variation and and demand, we could talk about you know a three point five percent contraction in annual volume. And then that could you know have an impact in 2021 as well, depending on whether or not Australia is still in recession. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would say uh, we're not talking about large, large figures, but such annual volume reduction due to COVID-19 outbreak and the difficulty for us potentially to recover quickly could have, a, I would say, a compounding impact of uh, above other deflationary um, price drivers. So uh, I think we, I mentioned just before the, uh, the lower gas uh, fuel cost that we can expect for thermal power generators. Uh, another shift we've seen um, over the last uh, at least six months now is um, a, a relatively drastic change in the bidding behavior of some coal farm generators offering volume at lower prices, uh, particularly um, in quarters falling outside the, Q, the typical Q1 summer period. So, that's a compounding impact that the COVID-19 could have uh, in the long term. And as a consequence of these factors, we've seen drastic reduction in the price of exchanges traded, exchange traded uh, futures uh, contract. Um, so just a few examples for, for the listeners. Uh, New South Wales power market based uh, futures contract for delivery in calendar years uh, 2021 and 2022. We experience a fall of 23% in price between the 1st of November, which is you know, what five months ago, and and the Friday slows, um, so the 3rd of April. Um, so if we consider um, a client that is using 100 gigawatt hours per year, 
this could be a, a, a drop in budget of 1.6 to 1.7 million dollars. So it's not an insignificant uh, reduction we're talking about, and that's obviously good news for all our clients, um, especially those who not have who did not um, bought uh, or haven't bought sorry um, uh, for FY21 or Cal21 uh, already. Uh, and as well, uh, those clients that we have that are able to somewhat backend their purchase and uh, the progressive purchasing arrangement that we have with them. So those ones uh, could uh, benefit uh, from a significant reduction. Uh, once again, I mentioned 23% before. Um, in, in a matter of few months, a reduction between the price that you could have secured for Cal 21 or 22 in November and the price you can get now. So it's a significant difference. And that's for me is, is another example of um, um, you know, the importance of time to market and, and potentially the benefits of uh, progressive purchasing in a in a downward trending market. Um, I'm sure Alista has a, a few other views on on that. Yeah, look, I, I, you picked up quite nicely uh, there on. One of the mechanisms uh, that that some of our clients have got uh, access to in order to benefit uh, from the falling market, which is the progressive um, purchasing piece. And um, it provides them with the opportunity uh, now to sort of uh, ease off a little bit on that uh, progressive uh, purchasing program. And uh, if there's there's a bit of further weakening uh, to come in those longer dated markets they can uh, delay some of their purchases and uh, you know, participate uh, when, when they feel uh, the market's uh, eased a, a little bit further um, the the other thing that uh, comes into mind uh, in this case is more for those uh, consumers that have a, a contract that they might have had in place for, for for a couple of years and may have been sort of struck at rates that are now well above um, where the market uh, is, is trading. So rates that might have been set uh, 12, 18 months ago. And now, as Jules was saying, 23% above um, what we're sort of seeing um, now. And in those circumstances, um, the the opportunity to use a tool, um, we'll call it a blend and extend, uh, might be a, a viable option. So instead of uh, waiting till your contract um, reaches its uh, normal maturity, uh, you could take this opportunity to uh, go to your retailer and uh, you know, have a discussion around you know, whether there's an opportunity to um, you know, lock in for another you know, 18 months, two years on top of uh, the, the existing uh, term of the contract and you know, get that uh, rate you know, applicable tomorrow um, you know, reduced in line uh, with the contracts. There's a bit of a trade-off between giving the retailer a little bit more uh, certainty over over term and they don't need to go out into a competitive market to to contract. And so they've got a driver to want to talk to you as well. And and so there's a discussion that can be had there about uh, trying to get some immediate relief. Um, So bringing in the next month's uh, spend uh, being referenced against uh, a rate that's a little bit uh, more reflective of where the market uh, is now it could be a really important uh, you know, saving for for businesses at the moment who are just under cash flow uh, pressure, short term cash flow pressure. It's an opportunity to 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 maybe spread some of that out um, over time. Uh, but there's always some caveats um, 
around it. Um, you are taking a view around what's going to happen with the market for the next uh, 12, 18 uh, months. Um, and you know, if you're a business that's maybe not in trouble now, it might not be so interesting uh, to you. But if, if you're someone who's really looking for budget certainty, um, maybe that blend and extend discussion um, with, uh, with your retailer would be a good, uh, a good starting point. And um, yeah, certainly Energetics uh, would be happy to help in those discussions and, and ensuring that the numbers stack up, which is fundamentally you know, a lot of what we do is just you know, bringing a bit of market intelligence and, and a bit of experience in the market to check that the numbers uh, stack up so that everyone can, can work through these strategies in order to, to react um, to the circumstances that are, that, that are impacting us now. Yeah, thanks, Alistair. It's good, good to know there are things that, that customers can do. And, and like you said, managing that short-term cash flow impact is uh, is critical for, for a number of our customers and a number of businesses in, in the wider economy. Uh, just moving back out a, a level to a slightly more macro scale, um, we were prior to COVID-19, we were seeing a, a major transition um, in the energy markets away from, you know, you know coal-fired power plants, uh, you know, gradual replacement with more renewable energy and more flexible assets. So, and it's been a, a boom for the last couple of years in, in the renewable energy space, for example. How will COVID-19 change the, the, the pace and scale of those changes that, that we were seeing? Well, it's very early, obviously, uh, to have a firm view on, on that. Uh, what we've seen over the last uh, few weeks now is uh, that the outbreak is impacting the construction of wind farms and solar farms in Australia somewhat. Um, so we've seen a few projects experiencing some minor delays in manufacturing or delays in the supply of key equipment and materials. Um, we know as well some construction work can be impacted by restrictions on you know, construction activities on sites. Um, probably uh, well, in, the, in the short term, what we really have seen as well uh, is um, some protracted discussions and negotiations around uh, the possible inclusion of COVID-19 as a force majeure event and some concern by some of our clients willing to sign PPIs that as soon as the BPA will be signed, a force majeure event will be triggered. Um, so obviously, uh, our clients will expect uh, very clear transparencies on, on COD dates from, from the developers uh, before execution. Um, we also received last week a range of offers from renewable energy de developers for a, a future contract for difference that we are negotiating uh, for one of our clients. Um, a large number of respondents included disclaimers related to COVID-19, mentioning, uh, well, possible project delay risk, uh, as I've liked before, but also highlighting possible variations in the strike price due to foreign exchange risk and debt financing cost variations. And I think that's probably two factors where Alistair is better positioned than me to, to comment on. Thanks. And I know we are going to have a, a, a subsequent podcast around uh, impacts on the renewable energy market. So I, I think maybe we, uh, we we park that there, but but suffice to say there is an impact uh, happening. And um, and yeah, we will, we will cover that more in, in, a, in a further episode. Moving on, um, we've talked around a number of different subjects uh, today. Um, and just to try and distill that back for some of our major customers and the sorts of things they should be thinking about. Um, Gilles or Alistair, do you, do you want to sort of um, suggest 
um, the sorts of questions that clients should be asking themselves um, to manage both the, the tactical and the strategic energy management impacts of COVID-19. Well, I mentioned before the, the benefits of purchasing gas on the short-term trading market. So this arrangement would work well for large gas users. Um, so if you are such large users, you, sh you could assess whether or when your gas contract is ending and if you would be willing to enter into a spot-based arrangement. Uh, on the electricity side, I think we discussed before about the possible benefits in some instances of considering a blend and extend offer to reduce uh, your electricity budget in the short term by extending the term of the retail contract and leveraging cheaper prices available now for long-dated delivery periods. So the questions to consider there are when did you procure your con contract, how long, uh, for how long and at what price and whether or not you are able to go long in order to reduce your electricity budget uh, now, uh, basically. Um, and I think that was well um, explained by uh, Alista before. Um, they could also be, I have to say, with this declining price, we've seen uh, Jane Taylor's more willing to go along and offering long-term offers. Um, so uh, you could, um, if you want, uh, as like by, by Alista before, if some clients here are interested in um, a long-term fixed price contract for budget certainty, uh, well, you could go, uh, especially, I would say, if you have... Um, a relatively uh, predictable and, and flat load, so offering a very attractive uh, load shape to a gentiler. Uh, you could go um, set and forget five-year fixed price contract uh, um, if, if you are uh, interested in such arrangement. Alternatively, you could consider you know, a progressive purchasing arrangement, and I'm sure Alistair will have a, a few views on, on that. Um, Again, very much building it up from just a number of... Um, you know, you know, key questions to, to to ask one. And the first one's, do you know what your demand is and what it's going to be like over the next uh, six to, to, to 18 months? And um, that, that, that could be as simple as we can just look at what our numbers are and, and, and nothing's going to change or there might be a bit more depth involved uh, to the modelling. Um, and you know, Z Energetics you know, works with lots of customers on these type of type of questions. And that plays into Alistair's, so a number of customers are looking at scenario analysis now around their future business um, requirements, their business needs, their business planning. So, so that, that ties nicely with activities that most customers are probably looking at anyway, just from a non-energy perspective. And you know, then, then that next step on top of that, you know, you know, do I understand the, the details that are in my uh, contracting arrangements? And, and as I said, we've, we've touched on this a couple of times. So it's, it's a really important uh, step is to to understand what flexibility you have in your contract and you know what you can actually do to address this and and um, that that next component is are you talking to the right people and you may have a requirement to talk to a retailer anyway because of the circumstances you find yourself in are you talking to advisors who can help unpack all this and put some clarity around it um, are you communicating within your businesses uh, so it's, yeah, there's, there's a risk manager somewhere in the business that's tearing his hair out in this, this type of um, in, environment um, and probably doesn't want to hear more, more stories, but uh, it, it's very important to be able to clearly articulate um, what type of challenges or opportunities are present in this type of environment. And that helps the whole business um, make its uh, decisions and, and manage risks. 
Um, so they're the they're the three key things that um, that that really come to to, to my mind. I, I thought you would be talking about progressive purchasing as well. What's your view on progressive purchasing in such environment? So actually, that's a a very good uh, reminder uh, there. Um, and with progressive purchasing in this environment, um, so it's a case of giving your thought and decision-making process a bit of a tune-up. Um, you've got a market that's uh, significantly more volatile than we've seen. So whilst there's been this downward direction, there's certainly been daily swings that um, you know, are quite meaningful. And being able to respond in a manner that's you know, very deliberate and able to seize opportunities quickly isn't always easy to set up. As a, you, know, you might have a trading desk uh, in the energy markets and, and, and they're set up with mandates and decision-making tools that, that allow them to make decisions extraordinarily quickly. Um, but most corporate situations aren't set up like that. So if you take this opportunity now, whilst the market is you know, still looking like to be more of a buyer's market, to think about delegations of authority, um, what are important trigger levels for where you might uh, want to enter into the market, the type of risks that you consider that uh, you're comfortable with carrying in this current climate, because that's one of the things that, that, that may have shifted quite a bit. Is that, uh, you, you might be looking for more certainty now because of uh, other cost pressures in your business, or you might be in, in a position where you, know, you, you can actually uh, follow, the, uh, follow the market's lead. But it's being able to have those considerations already done in this very noisy environment anyway um, so that as the opportunities arise you can strike quickly and you know, so it's got that component of communication in it again so if, you, if you're talking with your advisors if you're talking with within the people within your business the stakeholders within your business that enables you to have in place the tools you need to respond quickly. No, that's that's great. Thank you, Alistair and Jill. I mean, it's uh, it's certainly a dynamic time, uh, it, as it as it often is in the electricity markets. Um, you know what what we're hearing. Just to try and summarise the, the last half an hour or so is really the electricity markets not not reacted too badly to COVID nineteen compared to other markets. So relative to the stock market or you know the oil market where we've seen huge volatility and 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 and, and significant changes we haven't seen seen that same level of of volatility and and activity on the electricity markets yet um and and that the short term impact has been a, a lowering of price expectations in future years and that's creating some buying opportunity for clients that have the right risk management frameworks potentially set up to to take advantage of that um, you, you've also mentioned that security supply is not necessarily a, a, a pressing concern at this moment in time, uh, no, no more so than it was prior to COVID-19 in any case. And there's a number of measures which, you know, interventionist measures which the government were planning and, and various regulators were planning, which, which may or may not be delayed as a result of this. Um, so that's a bit of a, a wait and see and, and, and keep a watching brief on, on what's happening there and, and what that might mean in terms of risk and opportunity. But um, the medium and longer term outlook, uh, I think, as, as both of you have, have commented, is, is, is highly uncertain. Um, crystal ball would be very valuable right now. Um, but, but really, the, there's a lot of ranges of responses that clients can take. So they need to understand 
you know, what their what their short term, medium term demand forecasts are. They need to understand how how they make decisions, um, how they manage uncertainty, so that they, you know, manage the risk and, and take the opportunities as they arrive. Um, so thank you very much, both of you, for your uh, for your time and for your comments. It's been an interesting conversation. Um, and to our listeners, uh, our next episode will be on the impact of COVID-19 on the renewable energy market. So we touched on it today. We'll draw that out into a more detailed conversation with another two of energetics experts. Uh, that will be uh, available on 11 a.m. on Wednesday, the 15th of April. And if you have any follow-up questions from today's conversation or you'd like to pose topics for future conversations, then please go to the Energetics Exchange on our website or contact your Energetics Account Manager. Thank you. Energetics Exchange Podcast. Conversations with energy and climate experts.